Back in August, Shane and I kicked off this long series in Romans as Pastor Chris led uh, several of you to go see that context firsthand, to be able to see the Colosseum, to see all the great architecture that still remains there in uh, Italy, and not just Italy, but the Roman influence and empire stretched throughout the Mediterranean region and the known world. As we lived in Cairo, Egypt for a number of years, and as we worked through the Middle East, everywhere we went, we continued to see fragments of this once great civilization. How it spread and had such reach across the world. And so while Chris was uh, leading a group to be able to experience that, Shane and I were kicking this off. And then Pastor Chris came back with this long series walking us through this book of Romans as a message of hope and healing for our world. Today, I want to kind of conclude that message, but also try to lead us into preparing for Advent as well, all at the same time. No problem. We're going to connect those dots. Don't worry. Hang with me. Uh, So I want to back up and give you the context first of Romans, and then from context, we can go and summarize some of the content and then move into this conclusion. And here's the context. Jesus was Jewish. He was born to Jewish parents. He was dedicated in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. He grew up in Jewish uh, communities and uh, was raised within the Jewish synagogue culture. He um, began to minister publicly to Jewish communities, reasoning and explaining from the Jewish scriptures. The disciples and the earliest followers were majority Jewish. They were individuals that were uh, coming out of the same background and same understanding of the scriptures and experience that he had. And as he's reasoning with those individuals, the early church is born really out of a Jewish context, its origins, its foundation are very much Jewish. And by the time Paul comes onto the scene and starts ministering publicly about 15 plus years later, there's a growing tension because as the message of God's kingdom, of new life, a new way of being human had spread into the Jewish communities throughout the Roman Empire... They were also beginning to attract those who were not Jewish, what the Hebrew scriptures and what the Bible often called Gentiles, basically everybody else, were starting to gravitate to this message of hope and healing, this good news, this new way of being human that was proposed by and exemplified and taught by Jesus. And people were drawn to that from all kinds of different cultures and groups and backgrounds and walks of life. And so then add another 10 years later, by the time Paul and his colleagues penned the letter to the Romans, a full 25 years or more after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, there's actually a tension that exists within the early church. There are those origins and foundations that are clearly Jewish, and that that population of early Jewish, now Jesus believers, and then all of these other cultures and groups that are very different from the Jewish way of being. And the early arguments within the church, what the book of Acts is primarily about, is if those individuals outside of the Jewish tradition, did they have to become Jewish culturally to accept what Jesus had done for them spiritually? And the argument was no. 
You did not have to become Jewish to accept what Jesus had done for you. And yet the tension continued to exist as Paul and his colleagues write this letter to the Romans. And so the content of the letter of Romans is largely about Paul and his colleagues trying to speak to both sides of the tension to help them understand and appreciate and value one another and what God's grace had been doing for one another and was trying to do through both groups to offer hope and healing to the world. And then you get to this conclusion from Paul in Romans 14 to 16, and it's basically stop condemning one another Stop criticizing one another. Be considerate to one another. Build one another up. Why are you doing this to each other, which is, in fact, destroying the work of God within you and the message of God through you? Stop this. And this letter to the Romans, written so many years ago, is still important for us today because birds of a feather flock together. We like to be around people who are like us, who think like us, who may be from the same nation or speak the same language as we do, who have the same values and belief systems and structures as we do, who grew up in the same spaces with the same kinds of people that we grew up with, who have the same kind of hopes and dreams that we do. And even though the world that is approaching 8 billion people today is smaller than it's ever been, because of technology and opportunity to be exposed to people and groups who are very different than us, the things that we've built to make this world smaller also become tools of division and separating us at a level that hasn't been since the days of Paul. And here's Romans, a message of hope and healing for us to be reminded again what's important about the faith, what's important about what Jesus passed on to us, what's important about being the people that God has designed us and desires us to be. Romans challenges us out of a scarcity mindset. Whenever a, a group of individuals is used to kind of being on top, used to kind of being in control, used to having a, a homogeneous uh, kind of uh, feeling that everybody is like us, and others start to drift in, we get scared. We, we worry about if they're going to start changing some things. They're not valuing the things that we value. And we start putting into place all kinds of different rules. Oh, the message is still there, especially within religious groups. The message is still there. God loves you. God loves you. God, God even loves you. So long as you do a few of these things so that you can fully appreciate the approval of God through us to you. And if you, you don't do these things, then you may experience the disapproval of God through us. And we use those ways of control. And anytime we feel our majority slipping, and that's what was happening within the Jewish, early Jewish parts of the church as the Gentiles were starting to come in. And we can't be that kind of people because God's love is big enough, deep enough, wide enough, transformative enough for all of us without having to be fearful that we're going to lose it or run out. 
Romans chapter 14, verses 17 to 19, is a great example of this conclusion. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Romans 14, 17 to 19 says, For the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of God, is not a matter of what you eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God, and others will approve of you too. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Paul says it's not a matter of what we eat or what we drink. It was an example of all the different laws that the Jewish people defined themselves by, the restrictions that they put themselves under to make themselves distinct and holy in front of all the rest of the world. Those, those laws that are part of the Hebrew scripture that were so important to them. You see, the, the Jewish brothers and sisters couldn't welcome the Gentile brothers and sisters to the same table because they couldn't agree what was on the table. And it was getting in the way of how they could have fellowship with one another. And the table experience, the social aspect of Christianity is so very much a part of what it means to be in fellowship with Christ as we demonstrate fellowship with one another. And so they were having this tension, this struggle. I grew up out of um, the branch of Christianity that's sometimes labeled as a Wesleyan holiness background. And boy, do we love our rules in that background of Christianity. I mean, when I was a kid, I, I learned really early that I don't uh, cuss, smoke, dip, chew, or go with girls that do. <laughs> not, not that I learned the value of abstaining from all of those things very well, but boy, I learned the fear that came if I should do one of those things, the shame that would happen for me or for my parents or my family or my church because I was caught up in any of those kind of things. Within my church tradition, one of our earliest publications had an article that said, good, godly people abstained from mustard. Yeah. You know why, right? Because mustard was associated with picnics. You don't see it? Oh, no, at picnics, there could be carousing, which would lead to drunkenness. And so if you had mustard, you were supporting that drunkenness. You may be even drunk yourselves. <laughs> so good Christian people don't do mustard. Say no to Frenches. Say no to the spicy brown for sure. Don't do mustard. And it was all out of intent, good intent, good motives to keep us on the straight and narrow. But it lacked transformative power of what was really important within the Christian experience. And as I grew up in that, and as I stepped away from that, as I challenged that, I can tell you that those things that Paul talks about here in verse 17 were not the focus. The focus was on the external behaviors and not the transformative power of Christ within my life. Paul says the focus of the kingdom of God is not those things. It's righteousness. It's peace. It's joy. And you say, well, well Ken, isn't righteousness really rule-keeping? And I'll tell you, no, it is not. Maybe you grew up in a 
church background like mine that said that righteousness was basically keeping the right rules and doing the right things for the right reasons, but it's not that. Righteousness, understanding what righteousness is supposed to be within the scriptures is not about rule keeping. It's about a gracious response to a God who has done something wonderful within your life. And the response says, I want to imitate that character and conduct of Jesus so that it provides blessing to others just as I have received blessing. That's what righteousness is supposed to be about. It's not a religious hall monitor. But that's what we sometimes grow up thinking it is within the church. Paul says, The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is supposed to be about peace and joy. Two of the main themes that we're going to study and which we're going to focus as a part of the traditional themes of Advent in the coming weeks in the countdown to Christmas study on Wednesday nights, peace and joy. Being a religious hall monitor never produced peace. It produces resentment, exasperation, rebellion, but it doesn't produce peace. Being a religious hall monitor does not produce joy within anybody's experience. It sucks the joy out of everybody's experience. You got somebody in the corner who's sitting there watching you, writing things down, talking about you, whispering to others. Doesn't make that experience full of peace and joy for you. But that's what we're supposed to be known for. That's what we're supposed to exemplify. Paul says this is what we ought to strive for, not all the other stuff. Righteousness is a way of reproducing what God has done in Christ to us. It should be our focus. Peace should be our focus. Joy should be our focus. It's not that we abstain from picnics. We ought to be throwing those picnics and inviting and including everybody along the way. And if we're not throwing that picnic, we better be on the guest list because we bring in joy, we bring in peace, we bring in goodness because of what Christ has done within us. That's the type of people we're supposed to be. And what's crazy is that in the background that I grew up in, I kept always hearing, you can't please God and people. But Paul says in verse 18 in this text that if we are these types of people, righteousness, peace, and joy types of people, we will be approved by God and by people. What? I can be pleasing to God and pleasing to people? I never heard that growing up. No one ever talked about that verse with me growing up because I couldn't possibly please God and please the crowd. I had to stay away from those people. I had to stop doing those kind of things. That fear, that shame, that religious hall monitoring kind of life. Who has an objection to being Christ-like, compassionate, bringing in love and joy and peace within our experiences? Nobody does. That's why Mahatma Gandhi said, I love your Christ. It's your Christians I can't stand. See, the kind of people we're supposed to be are not the ones that condemn and tear down one another and hall monitor one another. We're supposed to be the people who breathe life into one another, 
who bring the experience of God into the places where we step, who bring peace, who bring joy, who build others up, who make people feel better, who make people understand that they are loved, not for what they do, but because of who they are. The compassionate character and conduct of Christ is supposed to be extended through us within this world. And so as we move ourselves from this year into the holidays, as we celebrate with Thanksgiving this week and we turn our attention towards Christmas, this Advent season of waiting and preparing to remember the one who transformed our understanding of the creator God and what it means to be human, not just for ourselves, but in the context of one another. Advent is this opportunity to celebrate peace, hope, love, joy again. And it's what we celebrate at the table. It's what we celebrate when we take the bread, the broken bread and remember not to try to pursue wholeness in our own thinking, but to be willing to be broken for the sake of others as Christ was broken for us. To be willing to be poured out as an offering to demonstrate the love of God that knows no limits, no ends, and is extended to this world. To bring righteousness, to bring joy, to bring peace, everywhere we go, in every word we say, and in every interaction we have. This is what it means to be a part of God's great kingdom.